The Gridiron Growl Podcast from Chap Talk with your host, David Soderquist and Michael Pepper. Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of the Gridiron Growl Podcast. This is none other than David Soderquist, your boy, along with lead writer from Chomp Talk, Michael Pfeffer. Mike, a lot of crazy things going on this week, especially in college fo- in the college football world of recruiting and Florida recruiting, obviously. Absolutely. It's been uh, very interesting. We've seen a couple of uh, recruiting battles kind of come to an end. Of course, it's never really fully an end until signing day. Uh, and we've seen an announcement of new opponents for the Florida Gators. We've seen a couple uh, programs decide that they're not going to play football at all. So it's been a, a pretty wild week. Yeah. Uh, Mid-American Conference cancels fall football. That is breaking news because that just happened about a few hours ago. What do you got to say about that one, Mike? Where's the Mid-America Conference? I guess it's in Middle America. Middle America, <laughs> that would make sense. Uh no, uh, you know, it's it's a big deal for, for all of the players who play there. Um, and, you know, the fans, it's it's not quite the same as, you know, one of the Power Five conferences. But but for those who are invested, this is a big deal. Um, I think that it's if it's in the best interest of their players and their coaches and, and even the fans, you know, to keep them safe, then I'm all for it. Um, but anytime we lose college football, it, it makes me sad. Right, and that wasn't to uh, wasn't to shy away from the Mid American Conference, man. It's like I said, I'm the same way as I, I just like to watch college football. I don't care if it's uh, D one, D two, even D three. Uh, I'll I'll watch any kind of college football that you put on television. Absolutely. Oh, I, I was just going to tell you, I, I learned some interesting information uh, this week, Ooh. and I wanted to share it with you and, and with our listeners. Oh yeah, yeah. Speak up, man. I want to hear. It. Okay, so. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm big into nature and wildlife and things like that. And, and so I learned this past week that if you have a group of crows that is three or larger, it's called a murder of crows. Okay. And I thought that was really interesting, but I wanted to know what, what is it called when it's two or fewer? And, and so I did some research. And do you know what it's called when there's two or less crows in, in a group? Two or less. Um no, no, I don't. It's it's actually very interesting. It's it's an attempted murder. Hmm. <laughs> Mikey Pfeffer with the joke of the week. Well, Mike, we have some great guests on this edition of the Gridiron Growl podcast. We have Nick Dilatori. He's a Florida Gators beat writer from Gator Country. We will be discussing the 2020 season as a whole. What's been going on this week in the college football world? The conference only schedules and transfers within the Florida program. We also have Joseph Hastings. He's a recruiting reporter at Gators Territory and Ohio State at Rivals. Also a beat reporter for ESPN Gainesville. We'll be discussing recruiting as a whole, the Miami-Florida battle in recruiting and on Twitter, how the COVID-19 virus has affected recruiting, and where Florida stands in the national recruiting rankings and where they could possibly wind up come National Signing Day in February. Yeah, we've got a great show ahead of us, and I look forward to picking these guys' brains. I know Nick Delatori. Uh, is very knowledgeable about all the happenings around the Florida program. And, uh, you know, Joseph, he's got his finger on the pulse in the recruiting world. So I'm excited to see what what kind of uh, news that they've got for us. I can't wait, man. I'm already impatient. So you ready to jump into these interviews or what? 
Yeah, let's do it. We have Nick Delatore, Florida Gators beat writer for Gator Country. And as I ask all of my guests, how are you holding up through 2020? Uh, I'm alive, and um, we don't have dates, but we got football opponents. So still crossing my fingers, hoping that uh, we have football games. Right, and I, I kind of feel bad for Missouri a little bit, man. They drew the short end of the stick. Yeah, between Missouri and Arkansas, I don't know which, I don't know which team got it worse, but uh, yeah, I, hey, I, not not a great way to start a program uh, for two new head coaches at, at Arkansas or Missouri, but you'll uh, you'll probably get some some leeway in your first year, given everything that's happened. People will just be excited to. Uh, just to have football if we can even get to that point. But, yeah, those schedules are brutal. Hey, welcome to the SEC, right? Yeah, for real. Here you go, Drink Witch. Have fun. <laughs> and and obviously Florida drawing Texas A&M and Arkansas. Felipe Franks comes back to the swamp on the other side of the football this time. I, 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 I was publicly campaigning for that. I mean, that's just probably uh, the writer in me thinking of storylines and, and as far as – storylines incredible i mean you get felipe coming back felipe and kyle and um not just felipe and kyle but i mean felipe spent four years with you know a bunch of the guys on the team was the leader of the team last year uh, i think that's something that will be really special to him to be able to come back and and play against florida uh and then kyle trask gets to uh in his 67th year of eligibility gets to go and play <laughs> a game you know close to home in texas so i think um two incredible Especially for me, I got to knock off two more stadiums this year. I have never been to Ole Miss, and I've never been to to Kyle Field. So, uh, Lord willing, if we're allowed to allowed to go, I'll, I'll be able to cross off two stadiums. But I think it's a great great pick for Florida, and certainly better than uh, you know what Twitter was saying. Hey, getting you know A and M uh, and in Alabama. <laughs> right, and I think most most fans would agree with that. You know. Uh, Talking about those storylines, I, I couldn't agree more that uh, the the face-off between Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask is going to be a, a great storyline for what would probably be an otherwise ho-hum matchup. Uh, but then we also have Texas A&M facing off once again against Jimbo Fisher, who had a 7-1 and one record against Florida in his time at FSU. So how big are these storylines for these games? And uh, how do you think Florida matches up with each of these opponents? Well, I think first and foremost, um, and I, I said it yesterday on, on Twitter, I don't think it's being talked about enough in the kind of offseason we've had, just how much continuity will help Florida. Um, I mean, you're looking at Georgia and you're replacing a, you know, a, three-year starter, a quarterback, an offensive line coach, LSU. I think Ed Orgeron's the only person that returns. Uh, him and Jamar Chase are the only two people who return from LSU's team. And um, I understand they're the national champions, but you look at all these teams, and that's the nature of college football. You're going to have turnover. Coaches are going to leave. Kids graduate, leave early. Um, and, and Florida, you know, no Jabari Zuniga. Five wide receivers are gone. Michael Pirine's gone. Uh, but when you look at Florida – they have the same offense, the same defense. You're replacing only one coach, and that coach gets to coach Kyle Pitts. So I think that that will make up for some of that as well. So I think what really helps Florida before the season even starts is just 
not having to to learn. Like Mike Norvell is probably and not not taking a shot at him, but probably still learning guys' names at, at FSU because you, you just haven't been able to be around them, haven't been able to be around the team. So I think that plays into Florida's favor. Um, and then just as far as as you know, X's and O's, I think Florida will match up well against Arkansas. Um, I don't know what kind of offense you know uh, Sam Pittman's going to run or what that'll kind of look like out there or really even if they have the players to run what he wants to run. Um, and then I'm not as high on Kellen Mond uh, as a lot of people, maybe even bullish to the point where I don't think he's, you know, a dark horse Heisman contender. Like a lot of people talk about um, him being, I think Jimbo's great with quarterbacks. He, he obviously did a great job with, um, obviously did a great job with Jameis Winston at Florida state. Um, but then when you, talk about the season like hey going to Kyle Field is one a far trip but two intimidating to play there you know in front of a hundred thousand people and the stadium shakes and you're not gonna have to put up with that or deal with that this year right and uh like you said the conference only schedule it actually some of the some of the teams benefit from it and some of the teams don't uh it's like you said like George say for instance a team like Georgia that's got two brand new transfer quarterbacks uh how long have they had in the system not a long time mm-hmm learning a new system, and as far as the conference-only schedule goes, uh, do you think teams like Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma have a great advantage considering their conference obviously isn't the SEC in terms of rankings? Uh, some fans have considered it. They might get a free ride to the playoff considering they're not playing any out-of-conference schedule, playing in the Big Ten, ACC, Big 12, while like the SEC goes and beats themselves up, or do you think it's a disadvantage and the committee will look at their strength of schedule and deny them into the playoff? But I also heard there's rumors of an 18 playoff that could happen. Maybe, maybe an 18 playoff. Um, I, I, I really think the SEC. I mean, when you look at just, I mean, playing in the West and LSU and, and Bama and A and M, um, and yeah, I, I think I think you're going to see the SEC kind of beat up on each other, especially when it's just 10 straight conference games. Um, I don't know when Clemson will be tested <laughs> at, at any point in the fall. Maybe not until they get to a playoff. Um, but I think that, you know, strength of schedule, the committee, which, you know, I mean, Scott Strickland is on the committee. They, they look at everything, whether it's strength of schedule and losses. And um, do we even see all 10 games played or, you know, because there's really only one, one week, one bye week fit into the SEC's schedule. And if you get a situation where you have to, you know, postpone two games, you, you can't, you're not going to play two games in one week. So, I think there's going to be a lot of factors and you might not have, let's say, you know, Clemson plays eight games and, and the SEC plays nine. They don't play their whole 10. There's going to be a lot of different factors. This is a really, really, it's going to be a really unique year. Um, interesting to see how, I guess, you know, kind of everything shakes out. And, and when you look at even the start dates, I mean, the big 10 will start three weeks before Florida starts or before the SEC starts. So um, it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out. I'm, Fingers crossed and hopeful that, you know, everyone stays safe and, and people put on their mask and, and we get, you know, a, a, as full of a college season as, as, as we can. Oh, the uh, start dates uh, not coinciding is, is an interesting wrinkle to this possible season. Uh, you know, some teams are going to get a little bit of a break before uh, playoff time comes just because of when they started. And, and others will probably be butting right up against the start of the playoffs. That'll be an interesting uh, addition to, to the way that goes uh, down. But 
another thing that I, I have read about recently is the Pac-12 players presenting a list of demands to the conference in exchange for playing the 2020 season under the hashtag we are united. And this has prompted players from around the country to join the cause, uh, including a few from Florida who've been quite vocal. Uh, so my question is how would what's effectively a player's union change the landscape of college football and then a follow-up, how should fans respond to comments from players like Zach Carter, who, who basically made the hardline statement that if you've never played D1 football, then you can't speak on the matter. You, you're not entitled to any opinion on how this affects the game that so many people love. Um, I, I think, you know, this is America. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Um, and if Zach doesn't like your opinion, doesn't have to listen to it. But I also think it's probably just I, I stand with the players in this. And I've long said, you know, when people didn't like recruiting and, and I don't like that he's waiting so long, you know, that, you know, this five star is waiting so long and then he didn't come to my school and he jerked us around and this and that. And um, they've gotten a little more power the players have in, in recent years, but really the only time they had any kind of power was as a recruit. And as soon as that national letter of intent came in, now you're getting de-recruited. You're not, you know, the, the coach isn't saying all those nice things he said to you, you know, when he was on the phone and you were in high school. Uh, and then you couldn't even leave a bad situation. You had to sit out a year. Um, so I, I've liked the, the moves the NCAA has made and, and allowing guys to transfer and, and giving them some stipends some stuff like that. And I think right now what's happening is because of everything going on, um, they're, they, they see that they, they have a little more leverage right now. And if you have a little bit of leverage, I think they're, they're seeing, hey, this might be the time to use it and, and to get some things. Now, if you go through the list of the Pac-12 players' demands, there's just some stuff in there that is never going to happen. You're not going to get a 50-50 revenue share sure. with, with the team. That's never going to happen. Um, I thought the uh, it was the Big Ten's list was, was much more reasonable. And, and it's just like, hey, we understand that you've got this mega thing going on that makes billions and billions of dollars and, and makes coaches millionaires and, and administrators millionaires and makes schools billions of dollars across the country. Um, and whether or not you're one of the people that says, well, you get a free education and, and this and that, and that's a story that, you know, an argument that could be an entire podcast on its own. Um, I think the players are saying, Hey, you can't have that without us. The big 10 was just like, we just want, to know that we're going to be safe. And, and I think because the virus is so new, we don't, there's no way scientists can even tell you what, what if any long-term effects are. So it's not just like, all right, you get sick for two days. It could be you get sick for, you know, a week and then you have, you know, lung damage for the rest of your life. We just don't know what the side effects are. And I think some of these student athletes are looking at it and saying like, okay, well, they just don't want the money to run up to run dry for a year and they don't care about my health. They're going to put my life in danger so that they don't, so they, so that their money keeps rolling in. I think that's kind of where um, some of these players are drawing a hard line stance. And I think I have a hard time looking at that and saying, Oh, they're being greedy um, when they're just saying, Hey, we just want to know how we're being tested that you're going to be as safe as possible. There's no way to say with hundred percent certainty, Hey, you're not going to get sick. You're going to be fine. Just put your helmet on and go, you know, run headfirst into somebody. They just want to know 
what the testing protocols will be and that to the best of their ability, their universities will be taken care of. Right. They, they want to basically be assured that they, they matter more than just a number on the jersey. Mm-hmm. And you, you spoke about uh, kids speaking out. Uh, Kadarius Tony and Jacob Copeland kind of hinted at opting out this season, not confirmed or anything like that. But as far as the 2021 season, a lot of kids from different schools obviously are opting out because of the virus, especially the ones who are expected to be drafted to the NFL. Uh, do you see this as being an advantage to kids who are going to be a definite preseason first rounder, or do you think it will hurt their draft status? Um, I don't, I don't think so. And, and maybe, you know, in the past you'd say, um, I remember when the, was it like Christian McCaffrey, that was, he was like in the first wave of skipping bowl games. Um, and people, people were saying, oh, the NFL doesn't want to quit. They're not going to like this guy quitting on his team at the end of the year. Um, but I mean, you've got, I think there were like 60 NFL players that, that opted out of the season. Um, so no, I think this, this year is just so unique. Uh, if I were, you know, if, if I were Rousseau for Miami, I wouldn't play, I wouldn't have played either. Like I, we're, we're not going to be playing for a cut unless I'm thinking, even if I'm thinking like, Hey, we have a chance to play for a national championship this year. That would make me think about staying. If I know that, Hey, we're not going to be, you know, a national contender, a national title contender this year. And I'm a sure, sure round, sure. First round guy. I'm probably sitting out too. Right. Uh, I don't blame them either because obviously, you know, it's like I said, people being vocal about sitting out and the virus. And on it, if me personally, I was supposed to be a first rounder, and I've already had good good enough film to be a first rounder, I would probably sit out as well. That would that that would be me. I don't think it's like I don't think that'll like carry over. I think this is very like just virus related. I don't think you'll see you know, let's say in twenty twenty one, everything's back to normal. You get a guy you know in August say, ah, yeah, I'm going to be a top ten pick. I'm just going to sit out my junior year. I don't think you, I don't think it gets to the, to that point. I yeah. think it's just you know. Yeah, I was just speaking of just basically about the just virus. This year. Yeah, like if you're worried about the virus and and everything like that, that that's what I would do now. If I wasn't worried, I would go like uh, Trevor Lawrence. He's he's playing this year, so. Mm-hmm. So you know, obviously, with the sh- shifting of schedules and and different conferences having different protocols, uh, the whole landscape just looks a little bit different this season, uh, but. Governor DeSantis recently said that he was going to work to make the Sunshine Showdown take place despite the SEC opting for a 10-game conference-only schedule. How likely is that to happen, and what do you think it would take for Governor DeSantis to pull that off? I think it would, I think it would take a time machine to go back and probably shut down Florida earlier than he shut it down, <laughs> and maybe we'd have less cases and, um, and, and people wouldn't be making fun of uh, – Fun of all of us here in the Sunshine State. Um, it, it's listen. It wasn't just Florida. Um, I mean, Clemson and South Carolina—they might have a riot. Uh, they've been playing football against each other since 1909, so even longer than than Florida and Florida State have. And and I don't know. You know, there was never legislation passed that said Florida and Florida State have to play. Um, it, a bill was, I think, brought up in '55 and didn't get through in the state Senate. Um, but it was enough to then, you know, force Florida's hand at the time and, and start playing them. I think right now the SEC made a decision. Florida's a part of that conference, and 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 that's that. Unless a bill gets 
passed, you know, and, and it becomes law in the state of Florida. And then Florida would look at the SEC and be like, hey, we're not going to be in violation of a state law. But I don't think that's something that, um, you know, would get pushed through. And it's unfortunate that uh, Florida and Florida State won't play. But, you know, I, I don't think that there's much the governor can do um, to make it happen, you know, where we are now. Also, um, sure, there's two fan bases that really want to play. But I think as the governor of Florida during a pandemic, you probably have some other things. And he was asked a question at a press conference. You know, that, that's why we have the quote. Um, right. But, you know, I think there's other, other things he should be worrying about and, and doing now other than, you know, worrying about if two football teams are playing. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think that this was a, a fun quote and something, you know, interesting to discuss. But I, I think I agree with you that there's a lot more important things on the table for, for the government, uh, state and federal, to be worrying about than whether or not these two teams play each other. But uh, thanks for your take on it. Hopefully it's good. Some people <laughs> some, some will <laughs> like it, some won't. That's how it goes. Got to have those rivalry games, man. I'm going to miss that. I love them. I know, man. Uh, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Florida, Florida State, uh, Clemson, South Carolina. Uh, man, I'm going to miss that this year. You forgot Louisville, Kentucky. That's the big one. Yeah, Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, that one too. It's... And I think Kentucky's, Kentucky's going to be good this year. I, I'm, you know, when oh, yeah. people ask me about the schedule, I'm, and I'm, I'm like, I, Knoxville? No, I'm not worried about Florida, Tennessee. I said the Kentucky game is one that, that, you know, that, that I would circle. I, I think Mark Stoops is, is a hell of a coach and, um, about FSU should have thrown, you know, a Brinks truck at him or whatever it took to get him <laughs> um, to Tallahassee. I think he's done a great job up there. Yeah, Kentucky. Yeah, uh, they've certainly given given Florida everything that we could handle over the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Yeah, for for whatever it is, Stoops can call up some <laughs> dial up some defense. Uh, you know, whoever the coach is, it was certainly easier when uh, it was McCoy's offense than than Dan's. But um, yeah, Kentucky is you know. Kentucky's given Florida everything they can handle and ended the streak a couple of years ago, but uh, they're a really good program. And I'm interested to see how, uh, how their season unfolds. And you, you mentioned Jim McElwain and I was about to say, Kentucky definitely isn't going for play action on third down. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, and they got Joey Gatewood too, uh transfer from, was, I believe it was Auburn, right? Mm-hmm. He's from um, Jacksonville, right? Yeah, I or believe so. Orlando. And uh, speaking of transfers, and as far as transfers go in the 2020 class, I'm just going to ask you a straightforward, basic question. Do you know of any kind of updates on Justin Shorter or Leonard Manuel? Well, Leonard Manuel's recruit, not a transfer, but do you have any updates on either one of those? Yeah, I'd still expect um, Justin Shorter to get a waiver, um, but nothing official in terms of has he gotten it back yet? And it's just, it's just to me, it's wild um, how, how much – discrepancy there is in who gets a waiver, how long it takes for them to get a waiver. If you're a quarterback and you went to a good school, it's very quick. Um, But if you're any other position and depends on the school, you know, well, maybe, I don't know. We'll get to you uh, when we get to you. Um, Last year, we knew that Brenton Cox's waiver had been denied. We had at, we kept asking Dan about it, but he just would say, Oh, we haven't gotten any word back because they were trying to appeal it. Um, so, I mean, you know, it never came out during the year that, hey, Brent Cox waiver got dismissed because we have like a level of 
certainty that we need to, that we need to have. And it's not just one person telling you something. You, you need to be able to kind of prove it and stand by your story when you publish it. So we all, and like in the media, kind of knew, but didn't have enough to really run with it and kept trying to get, you know, get that throughout the year. But obviously, you know, people are asking me, hey, what's happening with Brenton Cox, you know, in November? And I'm like, hey, there's a game left. He's, he's not playing right. this year. Um, and, and with with Manuel, I think it's, you know, I, I'm not sure um if if he'll get in it's it's it happens all the time and it, it's like a double-edged sword because if if you went to florida or even if you're a florida fan you know you see this top five public university and, and you want to you know be proud of that and you should but then that there's going to be there's going to be times where it's harder to get into florida than it is to get into florida state or georgia and and you might not be able to get get a guy in um I mean, look at Dewan Black. Dewan Black wasn't able to qualify, and, and I fully expect he'll be on campus in December. And, and you know, we'll be loving to be a Gator, but that's just some, you know, when you're at a school like Florida um, that's as ac- academically prestigious as Florida, you're going to get some guys that just just can't get in. Yeah, I hear you on that one, man. So nothing new on Leonard Manuel, huh? Any yeah, yeah, that's – yeah, I, I don't uh, – nothing new. Yeah, I wonder what's going on with that one too. It's probably one of those case by day by day things, just like the Brenton Cox thing was. And what was funny about the Brenton Cox thing is, once it got like mid year, I could already tell Brenton Cox wasn't going to get his waiver anyway. So mm-hmm. a lot of people just quit worrying about it towards the middle of the year. But anyway, uh, that's all I have. Uh, tell us where we can find you, Nick. Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Nick Delatory GC, and uh, anything I write is over on Gator Country. All right, Nick, thanks for joining us, man. Great interview, man. Yeah, yeah, Nick, thank you guys. so much. Yeah, whenever, uh, whenever you guys want me back on, hopefully there's games to be talked about in in the fall. Right, and uh, don't don't have the troubles TCU has right now. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, jeez, no. All right, Nick, man. Thanks for joining us on the Gridiron Growl podcast. You want to rock out this football season? Check out the band Felicity on Spotify, Apple Music, the iTunes Store, Amazon Music, YouTube, Pandora, and other music platforms. Also, check them out on Twitter at WeAreFelicity. Felicity, rocking out the state of Florida since 2014. That was Nick Delatore from Gators Country. Always a great guy to discuss Gator football with. And he actually hit on a good fact in the interview, especially about the new conference schedules and how they could possibly affect the rankings. And also, like I said earlier, there's a discussion about an 18 playoff this year. Uh, do you think an 18 playoff is a good idea, or do you think they stick with it or just go back to four after this year with the virus? Well, you know, the 18 playoff idea has been kind of kicked around for really since the inception of the college football playoff. Um, I think that it's a double-edged sword Uh, on paper. It sounds really good. It's more football. Why not? You know? Uh, However, I think that when you add the other four teams, while it gives an in for teams like, you know, UCF a couple years ago, who think maybe we didn't get a fair shake because we're not in a power five conference. uh, You're also allowing for, teams that didn't win their conference championship. Um, You're also kind of devaluing the rest of the season a little bit, because right now you have such a thin margin of error to get into the CFP. And I think the eight team 
model increases that margin. And, and I just don't want to see it become an NFL scenario where you've got eight and eight teams or nine and seven teams, you know, being able to get into to the playoffs. Uh, as far as if they go with the 18 playoff for this season, I think it's here to stay. I think this is the door being opened for that. And if they decide that this is the way that they're going to go, even, you know, just because of COVID, I think that it's going to stay afterward. It'll be very interesting to see what they do uh, after this year. If there is an 18 playoff, there's discussions. It's not officially confirmed. We're still in a 14 playoff, but it will be interesting to see where they go with it after this season. Uh, it's it's just crazy. Uh, and you never know. Uh, there's people talking about, well, maybe we need 16. Maybe we need I, that's, that's a little ridiculous, I think. Uh, you, you get you get to 10 or 12 or 16, and that's when it gets to, wow, we're going to have given these kids like three more games to play every year. Right. You know, with the 18 model, you're adding one more game, and, and only realistically only four teams are going to play one extra game. Uh, so, you know, as far as that goes, I don't think it's, it's too over the top. Uh, my only main concern about it is, you know, with the BCS era, you basically were given one. You could lose one game, and even then, you had to fight and claw to get your way into the national championship game. With the CFP, you you pretty much you have to go one loss or undefeated to get in. And and with eight teams, you know you're going to open the door a little bit for those, uh, you know, two loss teams. And and maybe it swings around in, in our favor every now and then. But overall, I think it. Like I said, it kind of devalues uh, the rest of the games that lead to the college football playoff. Right, and teams like UCF, obviously, who had, a, I guess, kind of a legitimate argument, you know, going undefeated that one season and actually gave LSU a run for their money in the bowl game for for a little bit until uh, LSU kind of just blew it out at, over there at the end. But, you know, we won't be having any more fake national titles now, won't we? Yeah, no, no more fake national titles. And and with that LSU game, you also have to remember, I think they had uh, nine starters that did not play in that game. That so, is correct. Uh, you know, once again, they, they didn't get LSU at their best, uh, and LSU still managed to pull out a win. So, well, Yeah, and, uh, you know, speaking of losing people, uh, you know, now it's, kids can opt out because of the virus, and uh, – opt out for the whole rest of the year and and actually that that's that's it's kind of weird man we're living in a weird time when it's conference only schedule but i will say now with a conference only schedule especially in the sec you're as we discussed earlier you're not going to have an unentertaining week uh, absolutely not and you know i i think i mentioned it in the interview um seeing a conversation taking place on social media earlier and a, and a rival fan was attempting to throw some shade at the sec and and they mentioned that the sec was been out of shape because they wouldn't be getting any, any uh, cupcakes this season however in their insult to the sec they accidentally admitted the fact that the sec schedule is just brutal weekend and week out yeah a little uh open mouth and insert foot you know, I was talking to Nick during our break, and uh, he brought up a really interesting point. Uh, he was talking about some discussions he was having with uh, other writers for Mississippi State, uh, 
uh, primarily baseball, but uh, the conversation rolled around to, to football. And one of the writers mentioned that the coaches at Mississippi State, and not any one in particular, but all the coaches who, who have ever coached at Mississippi State, uh, I believe he used the term, were lazy. Uh, and it's a funny way of putting it, but uh, the expectations and the culture there within the program and within the fan base certainly were elevated you know, with Dan Mullen there, but it allows the coaches to recruit in a different fashion. And what was interesting was he mentioned that a lot of times the coaches would make these relationships with high value targets that, you know, maybe they knew that they didn't stand a chance of actually drawing into Starkville, but uh, they would go after guys who they also knew wouldn't meet eligibility requirements. So, you know, we look at, at Florida's own situation, you know, Dewan Black, uh, who has been a, a absolutely vocal uh, recruiter for the Gators ever since he was in high school. He, he didn't quite meet the eligibility requirements. He ended up having to go to JUCO, uh, and he thankfully will be coming and joining the, the, uh, the Gators program uh, in this class. But Mississippi State, that's kind of their recruiting model. They'll, they'll make these relationships with these high-value players that can't quite get past the, the cuff, and they have to go off to, to JUCO to make the eligibility requirements, but they've maintained these relationships. And then after the fact, they're able to pull them from the junior colleges uh, into their own program. And, and when he mentioned that, it just, it struck me as very interesting. And I was asking him how much he thought that that actually influenced Dan Mullen's approach to recruiting. And, and so basically his response was that, if nothing else, it's allowed Dan Mullen to build a staff with continuity while other programs may be going after, you know, five-star talent everywhere and, and always uh, they're more interested in focusing on the players that they need, that they know will be a good fit. And they invest all of their time directly into those players, even if they can't immediately come. And so what ends up happening, you got guys like Billy Gonzalez has been with, with Mullen, I think for what, 14 years now. Yeah. Long um, time. And, and so it's, it's knowing that, Hey, I've got a quality of life alongside doing what I absolutely love. I, I don't have to be on the road, you know, five months out of the year when the football season's not taking place uh, to go and recruit all over the country. It's, it's, I can have these relationships with these kids and know that it's genuine and actually be able to also see my family. And, and we know from Dan Mullen's own words that family is, is a very key component to his program. They have uh, family meals, I think, every Thursday nights with the players and, and everybody. Um, and then, you know, certain days of the week, you know, it's dedicated to bringing the family into the program. And then some days it's, hey, we're, we're staying at home with our family. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that because uh, – when you have that kind of a relationship with a kid and you can tell them, Hey, look, I want you, even though I know you may not be able, your, your grades may, may not be able to qualify or you may not be able to qualify. You know, I still want you as, you know, as part of this team. And that, that's, that's really good to develop a relationship like that and let a kid know that no matter what happens, you know, I still want you here and you're still part of the family. And it, and it, and it actually, when you, when you touched on that, uh, 
uh, Justin Shorter, uh, Dan Mullen was going after big time, I remember, and wound up committing to Penn State. And now, since he had formed that relationship with Justin Shorter, now we have him at the University of Florida as a wide receiver, especially for this year. If he gets his waiver and that helps a wide receiver room, that's a loss. Tyree Cleveland, Freddie Swain, Van Jefferson, Josh Hammond. Yeah, absolutely. The relationship matters. Relationships do matter in recruiting and all over the, especially all over the SEC. You playing in the SEC, you need to get these high quality kids, and 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 obviously, you know their families. You 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 touched on that a little bit too. Uh, a lot of these coaches get attached to these kids' families too. And I was actually talking to a recruiting reporter about a couple of months ago, and she uh, was talking about the staff and how they recruit kids, and she was part of. Oh, I can't remember what recruiting staff she was part of, but she was saying it would. She would want them to come play for, I think she was at, I think it was Alabama or something like that. But sometimes the kids you're recruiting, they pick a different school and it actually has an emotional toll on you a little bit. You're still happy for them, but you're kind of like, man, I really wanted them to play here. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's all about relationships, especially in the uh, the wild world of recruiting. Absolutely. And Speaking of recruiting, it's now a good time to introduce our next guest. Yes, and that is Joseph Hastings. He's a recruiting reporter at Gators Territory and at OSU at Rivals. He's also a beat reporter for ESPN Gainesville. We will be discussing recruiting as a whole, especially the Miami-Florida battle in recruiting, on, and, and especially on Twitter, uh, how the COVID-19 virus has affected recruiting, where Florida stands in the national recruiting rankings, and where they could possibly wind up come National Signing Day in February. You ready to go, Mike? Let's go. Let's do it. We have Joseph Hastings on the line, recruiting reporter at Gators Territory and at Ohio State at Rivals and a beat reporter for ESPN Gainesville. Joseph, been a wild ride in the recruiting world these past couple of weeks, hasn't it? Oh, it absolutely has been, David. It's just been crazy to follow. And, you know, there's going to be even more and there's going to be even more news in the world of recruiting soon as well. Right, you got uh, Corey Collier uh, fixing to announce August the 10th. He's down to Miami, Florida, and LSU. Uh, who, who do you think would be the pick for that? If you had to predict a pick, who do you think it would be right now? If I had to make a prediction, it would be Florida as of today, although you know you have to respect Miami and what they have been doing. They just added uh, five-star defensive tackle Leonard Taylor, uh, who's one of Collier's teammates at Palmetto High School. Remember, they also have Bashard Smith and Savion Collins on board as well. So, you know, Collier has definitely given Miami a strong look. There's a reason why they're in his top three. Um, you know, I spoke with the head coach, Mike Manasco, at Palmetto High School um, a, a, little, a few weeks ago. And pretty much what he told me is that Miami's doing a really good job of sending all the coaches at him. Specifically, the addition of Ed Reed has been really beneficial in their pursuit of Collier. And then another school that's doing a good job of forming those relationships is LSU. Corey Raymond, the defensive backs coach, is doing an excellent job recruiting both Collier and Marshall. So LSU and Miami can't be written off. But, you know, I, I made a prediction for uh, in Florida Savior for Collier a few weeks ago back on July 20th. And pretty much my reasoning is that they're the school he's the most familiar with. They've been the one constant kind of top two school, top three school throughout his entire recruitment, at least for the past year and a half. So I believe just the relationships he has with the coaches, his familiarity with school, how often he's been on campus. Uh, I, I would make my prediction for Florida if we're if we're predicting today. Excellent. Um, 
so recently with uh, Kamara Wilks- Wilcoxon, uh, Florida snapped the alleged IMG curse that the fans talk about so much. Um, what is the staff doing to kind of redefine some of these inroads to the, the high school programs that were uh, maybe damaged by previous coaching staffs? Now, I think it's interesting with Kamar. You know, it's it's great that he's going to be reclassifying, especially if there's no high school football this year. It's going to give him just a year to learn the system at UF, just to be in that in, in that college environment. So, personally, I think it's a great move for him. But I think Florida, if, if they could have chosen, they would have liked to have had him at IMG just a little bit longer, just because he was there for two months, but then the pandemic happened, and he wasn't able to spend time with some of those other recruits, most notably Tonmiche Adelaide. He's a player that Florida is trying to flip from Ohio State. They want him really badly. And having Kamar, you know, kind of interact with him on a daily basis would have been extremely helpful for Florida. There's also some targets in the 2022 class as well. Tyler Booker, Walter Nolan. These are a couple of guys that Florida wants. And, you know, having Kamar there represent the Florida brand would have been uh, would have been really good for them. But, you know, just having, you know, Kamar, even if, he didn't spend too much time or didn't play a game with IMG. Just signing a player from IMG, kind of breaking that curse, was uh, was definitely a good deal for Florida. And they also made some inroads at Armwood High School as well. Um, you know, they secured a commitment from Charles Montgomery in May. Uh, also had Desmond Watson um, back in uh, back in late July. So Florida's doing a good job, kind of recruiting those schools that they haven't been really successful at over the past few years. Yeah, we we've sold multiple schools like uh, the school you just mentioned, Miami, and even North Carolina. If you follow North Carolina right now, they're doing pretty pretty well in recruiting as well. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been able, you know, multiple schools are able to secure their their elite in state recruits as far as like North Carolina uh, with FSU and Miami down big time. I'm going to ask the obvious questions. Some fans, not all fans, want to know uh, why is Florida struggling to get some of these elite in state recruits in, from other schools and inside and outside of the state. Honestly, I do not have really much of an explanation for that. It, it, it is a little bit uh, concerning considering the fact that Florida has been the school out of Miami and Florida State to be the one trending upwards. You know, they had 21 wins over the past two seasons, back-to-back New York Six uh, Bowl victories, coming off a of 4 in the seven team as well. So Dan Mullen, pretty much with a roster that he has, he didn't get to put together, was able to string together double-digit wins in back-to-back seasons, whereas Miami just had one double-digit win in the decade before um, the 2010s decade. So uh, Florida, you know, I was expecting them to kind of take a leap this year. I gave them a little bit of a pass, and obviously in 2018, in the 2018 cycle and 2019, not so much last year, but I was really expecting them to take it up in the 2021 cycle. But Alabama is dipping into Florida. They're stealing some of their, their top uh, targets, such as Christian Leary, uh, Dallas Turner, Ja'Cory Brooks. So Alabama's doing a really good job recruiting in Florida. And then now – Florida's losing to Miami in terms of uh, Brashard Smith and Leonard Taylor, but uh, we'll see. You know, I, I I think that with the pandemic happening, Miami has been able to kind of take advantage of it, specifically with the Palmetto kids. But once the season happens, um, you know, it plays out. I believe Florida will be an SEC contender. I think Miami will kind of struggle to get to eight wins, and maybe they can flip them down the line. So it's not signing day yet. We're still several months from um, from having that day arrive. I believe Florida can maybe push for some of those flips of the Palmetto kids or even some of the Alabama commits as well. Right. Speaking of the, the Palmetto five, um, 
most of us weren't really surprised at Leonard uh, Taylor choosing Miami a few days ago. Where where does Florida stand with the rest of the that group? In terms of the committed prospects or the uncommitted targets? Uh, the, the uncommitted prospects uh, for Palmetto oh, 5. Yeah, so with Corey, he's going to be committing on uh, Monday. Corey Collier, that is. He's going to be choosing between Florida, Miami, and LSU. You know, I am uh, predicting Florida, but, you know, I'm not. it's not a guarantee. Um, you know, it's still going to be uh, something that you have to wait until it actually happens, just given the recent success of Miami and then also – LSU being the, the reigning national champions. As for Jason Marshall, his recruitment has kind of been a little bit all over the place recently, um, to, to put it kindly. You know, you saw Florida kind of rise as kind of the school to beat in uh, the spring. Then you had Alabama pop up. You know, people were favoring them. And now it's Miami that's trending really heavily. So with his recruitment, I'm not setting anything in stone. I haven't made a prediction yet with him because it's kind of gone back and forth. He recently released the top five as well. So uh, I, I think he, his recruitment is probably going to go off on, on toward maybe November, December, if, you know, just depending on what he wants to do. I spoke with his coach, as I mentioned before, and he told me that of all the players that he coaches at Palmetto, Jason would probably be the one to, to push his recruitment off the longest. So that's where things kind of stand. Um, you know, I, I think Florida has a good shot at getting um, Corey, but still kind of remains to be seen what will happen on Monday. Sure. Yeah, and like I said, I know it's only August. Uh, we got all the way till February. Uh, but some fans are worried that Florida won't even get into the top 10 in recruiting and barely top 15 this year. Uh, but I always say wait till February. Uh, do you see Florida going, like doing some major work to get this class back in the top 10 range? I, I definitely believe so. As I mentioned before, I think the season playing out, if we do have a full college football season, will benefit Florida tremendously. Uh, I see them winning the SEC East and having a really good chance at winning uh, the SEC in general, whether it's against LSU or Alabama in the SEC championship game. I think Florida has a legitimate shot this year. And, you know, recruits will pay attention to that. M Miami um, is, is taking advantage of, you know, the downtime, maybe the, some of the players that they've gotten in the fold, like James William, Leonard Taylor, has kind of forgotten that they lost to FIU. They lost to Duke. So, you know, they, they, they had some really bad losses at the end of last season. So we have to see how they kind of bounce back. I, I, I always say let the seasons progress. The down period really isn't um, in favor of Florida, the dead period. Um, you know, the off season is kind of when the fall starts, that they should really start to do some damage and hopefully pull off some of those flips uh, down the line. So speaking of the, the actual season, you know, we're seeing a lot of plans and, and schedules for an abbreviated season uh, being finalized now. There's even been discussions of limited crowd capacity in the stadiums. I know Florida State recently just announced they would be, I think it was 25% uh, capacity. Um, so how do the health screenings and social distancing protocols impact the recruits' abilities to make their traditional game day visits? That's a really good question. And, you know, it's, it's definitely going to have an impact, especially if you have reduced capacity at the Swamp. Uh, the game day atmosphere specifically, you know, when you saw Auburn uh, last year, LSU the year before, it, was just, it, it definitely produced and resonated with those recruits. You know, they, I interviewed a lot of them after the game, Leonard Taylor being one of them after the Auburn game last season. And you can just see smiles on all of their faces, the game day environment, the crowd, um, all of that. That was very, um, you know, it, it was a really good 
experience for all of them. So I believe it will have an impact. Also, we have to see what recruiting business will even look like. Uh, can you have your normal, um, you know, recruits can show up whenever they want to, um, you know, on the game days, or will there be a limited number of recruits and prospects who are allowed to watch the game? There's so many questions with it, but, you know, to answer your question, I do believe it will impact them. They won't get the full game day experience um, that they're used to or that they're accustomed to getting when going to the swamp. So it definitely should have an impact. Sure. Right. And, uh, as we were going into uh, before about dead bullet and uh, obviously, like I said, people were worried. Maybe we not may not even make it into the top 10 and all that. But I know Dan Mullen, he has been uh, notorious for pulling off some last minute stuff. Uh, if there was a surprise commitment at the last minute, say on like national signing day or early signing day for Florida, uh, who do you think it would be? That's a really interesting question. I think kind of projecting it long, um, long term. You know, I don't think it would be an uncommitted player. I think I could see someone like a Tamise Adelaide, um, you know, who's a really coveted defensive end, uh, committed to Ohio State, you know, eventually flipping the Florida down the line. I don't know if it would be on signing day, but I think it could be close to it after he takes his official visit. Um, Florida's a school that he's really high on. I, I don't – if I were to say right now, I'd say that he sticks with Ohio State, but, you know, if he gets that OB to Florida, if he gets to spend – some time with Kamar Wilcoxon and Kamar still in his ear about uh, making a move. He obviously has a great relationship with David Cooper and David Turner as well. So uh, to me, Adelaide would probably be my pick, my surprise if Florida can uh, can pull it off type player uh, that they'll get down the line. Yeah. To, uh, how do you say his name? Because I'm bad at butchering names. It's it's Tumai Adelier. Is that how it is? Tamise Adelaide, I believe so. Um, I asked him only about his first name, not his last, so uh, <laughs> I believe that's the pronunciation. <laughs> I apologize in advance if he's listening right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm David Sildercoist, the butcher of names, as Mike, Mikey knows. <laughs> I was yes, just sir. happy that they got my name right on the, uh, on the intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joseph, uh, thank you so much for joining us. You've, you've had a lot of... Uh, really good in, uh, insight here as far as the upcoming recruiting season and what's been taking place during the, the downtime. Um, is there any particular, uh, before we go, is there any particular uh, recruiting battle that has really caught your interest that's coming up? Sorry, can you repeat the last part? It cut off a little bit. Is there any particular recruiting battle that you are especially interested in uh, moving forward? That's that's a good question as well. Um, I, I'm honestly going to say Leonard Taylor. I, I really want to see what happens. He, you know, he's put it out there on Twitter. He's all keen. You know, he he went on Instagram Live. You know, he's uh, been talking about the Hurricanes. But then it's funny. Uh, C.J. Henderson quote tweeted uh, a tweet by Jason Marshall talking about, you know, the SEC is the place to be and all that kind of stuff. And Leonard put the eyes emoji underneath of it. And I did see it, that. Yeah, so that was a very interesting tweet. And going back to another conversation I, I had with his head coach several months ago, his head coach told me that he believes Leonard is an SEC player. And that lines up with, you know, the top five that he released back in late December. You know, it was Georgia, it was LSU. You know, he was considering a lot of SEC programs. And I think the pandemic has really helped Miami uh, kind of get him initially. I think Florida would be the school that I'm – Florida is the school, in my opinion, that I'm projecting him 
long-term to sign with, uh, especially if there's a season. It's really contingent on if there's a full college football season. But I, I believe the Gators have done such a great job. They forged such a great relationship. Uh, they kind of got hurt by the pandemic. But once the season happens, once he's able to take his visits and, you know, assuming he does take an official to Florida, um, I, you know, I, I believe they can sign him. So that's the recruiting battle I'm really looking forward to the most. But there's a lot of them. You know, uh, I mentioned Tamise Adelai, Florida, Ohio State. That's another great battle as well. Uh, Jason Marshall, Florida, Alabama. Can Florida keep a, an in-state prospect in the state of Florida instead of letting him go to Alabama uh, like they have uh, with a few prospects in this cycle? So um, those are a few great ones, but Florida, Miami for Leonard Taylor would probably be my pick. Well, we'll definitely keep our eyes open and watch this one uh, as it plays out. We're, we're really interested to see how all of this ends up on signing day. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing it as well. And uh, speaking of uh, recruiting battles, uh, all you have to do is log on Twitter and watch the Florida Miami fans go at it. That's a recruiting battle in itself. <laughs> yeah, we saw it yesterday. You know, the recruits and uh, the, even the commits for Florida Miami were going back and forth. It's, it's uh, Gator Twitter, Miami Twitter, you know, it's really great stuff. It's really good content. Yeah, every, every day I log on the TL, I go down it, and the uh, first thing I see, Miami, Florida guys battling it out. <laughs> It's it's a never ending battle, right? And I'm I'm surprised uh, Twitter's still free for us with all that with all that entertainment we get. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, well, Joseph, it's been good having you on, discussing a little bit about the recruiting. And it's like I said, recruiting doesn't end till February, so there's no need to worry right now, Florida fans. Uh, Joseph, uh, tell everybody where they can find you at on Twitter and other social media platforms. Yes, so you can find me on Twitter at Joseph A Hastings. I'm also on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. If you want to friend me for some reason, you know, I, I will accept. Uh, but, yes, and you can also find my work on GatorsTerritory.com or uh, BuckeyeGrove.com. Uh, so, yeah, d- definitely thank you all for having me on today. Thanks, Joseph. My pleasure. The Gridiron Growl podcast and Chop Talk would like to thank the staff at the Tower Square UPS store in Gainesville for their sponsorship of ChopTalk.com. For all of your printing and shipping needs, Make sure to check out the UPS store in Tower Square. And that was Joseph Hastings touching on Florida's recruiting as a whole and where Florida might wind up come National Signing Day. And as we all know, the wild world of recruiting never stops. And like I said, it's only August. We have plenty of time until February, so there's no need to get upset right now. And I've always said anything can happen on early signing day or National Signing Day. Or with the transfer portal, even after signing day. <laughs> that is true. I did not think about that. The uh, transfer portal is... Uh, Dan Mullins actually quite utilized that transfer portal a lot. So a lot of Gator fans that very are... Very well. A, a lot of them are upset with the recruiting right now. I mean, obviously, so am I. But say Dan Mullen goes, you know, for, a 14th ranked recruiting class. But he dips into the transfer portal, especially now, next year with kids being immediately eligible uh, for their first year if they want to transfer so if, if you transfer you're immediately eligible but if you do it again you have to get a waiver you have to go through the whole waiver process again so say Dan Mullen has a top 15 class and everybody's like oh I didn't get in the top 10 but say he does like he did this year get three five-star transfers uh, one that that was injured decided to stay out for a year and transfer from Miami to Florida Lorenzo Lingard you got Justin Shorter, who I think he has three years. I'm not sure because I don't really think he played that much when he was at Penn State. You got 
a big bodied wide receiver that can that is fast that can blaze through people five star uh he was actually i think the number he was the number one wide wide receiver in his class but i think he was the number six player overall i think i'm, I'm not sure but you got justin shorter then you got Brenton Cox, and, and uh, obviously Brenton Cox, he had to wait through the waiver process because he was he was a transfer earlier on, uh, especially it was actually last year. So he, he's had to wait a year, but now he's waited his years, and now he'll be eligible for this year. He'll be eligible uh, immediately with the the new transfer uh, policy that starts next year. Uh, he would have already been eligible, and then you've got on the other hand where where waivers are required, you got. Kids like uh, we'll we'll use Chris Steele uh, from a year ago, uh, committed and, and signed his letter of intent. Actually, came to campus, uh, decided a couple months into his commitment or his enrollment, I should say, uh, that he was going to transfer back to USC, who he had decommitted from right before committing to Florida. And then I think it was about a month after that he transferred again to Oregon. So. You know, it's kind of a free agency kind of situation, but it's not really free. So I think it's good that we have the one-time immediate eligibility, and I think it's equally good that there are uh, situations where, okay, you've used that up. You can't do this again, you, you know, without wasting a year or sitting out a year. Right, and you mentioned Chris Steele. It was, uh, it was USC, then Florida, then USC, then Oregon. It was a that that was a pretty wild ride, but uh, you know, like like I said, now it, it, I, I always used to say the kids got to be careful. They you should have your mind made up on national signing day, and if you don't, and I always said don't sign the letter of intent if you're not sure. But now you can sign the letter of intent, and then if you're still not sure, you can transfer out. It's like a, a test drive. Yeah, it's like a test drive. It's like when you go to the car dealership and you uh, test drive the the car and. I think you can what uh, if if there's a lemon law you can return the car if the car is a lemon, but yes, say uh, you have this brand new shiny car and you just don't want it anymore you can turn it into the dealership and get something else. That's that's pretty crazy, man. The 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 the, the transfer just the transfer rules as a whole is going to change college football. Yeah, it's and like you said, it's something Dan Mullen has has been able to utilize quite well uh throughout his time at florida he's he pulled in several five-star uh transfers uh just this last year so even if he he doesn't necessarily hit the home run so to speak on the on the recruiting trail he's filling the gaps with elite talent right and uh that's usually that's what i wait for i if you want to take florida's recruiting classes for the past two years they think they were number nine the past two years and obviously chris Steele leaving hurt uh jalen jones leaving hurt some of the kids that didn't qualify hurt now two years later diave ham and dewan black are back and juco transfers but it's like i said the the re- Recruiting for Florida, you could say have a number nine class, but then if you add in the transfers, a three, like three five-star transfers, that that bolsters your recruiting ranking. If uh, you could say maybe we had a, a number six class now or top, or number five, you could if you want to add into the transfers, you can, especially last year. Last year, I was actually really excited. We made it to number nine. Uh, a few kids didn't qualify, but we took in three five-star talents. So, and, and all of them are eligible except for Justin Shorter right now. His waiver's still up in the air. But as I said, next year, 
we won't have to worry about that problem, won't we? Not at all. So, Mike, uh, another episode of the Gridiron Growls in the books for uh, our second episode. And as I've said before, I'm really excited about this podcast in the future, and we should have more great guests next week and in the weeks to come. Yeah, I'm excited about it. We uh, will continue our we, – we, I think we've had some great guests so far, uh, but we'll continue that trend and continue bringing all the latest updates and information on recruiting and, and the way this season's going to play out. Um, so I'm really excited about it. And that will do it for the second episode of the Gridiron Growl podcast. I want to thank Nick Delatore and Joseph Hastings for joining us today. Join us next week on the Gridiron Growl podcast. And remember, folks, in all kinds of weather, we stick together and keep it together. <laughs>